Well, first of all, <clears throat> Lawrence, thank you for your testimony, for articulating uh, how God has saved you, and with the vivid illustration of swimming off or down the beach and, and all of that. Praise God. Thank God for you joining us. And as we say to every member who joins our body, look forward to years, decades, a lifelong of fellowship, worship of Christ together, and ministry together. Praise God. And Pastor Bajan, thank you for uh, your greeting and for considering us precious. We consider you precious as well. I remember a year, almost a year and a half ago, <clears throat> when we first went to Kazakhstan to teach at the Institute, I remember praying with Mike and, and Bob and others that God might open doors for us for uh, further ministry, for a partner and, 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 and to partner with someone that we can do long-term ministry in Kazakhstan. Well, after two weeks there, we really we met a lot of believers, a lot of pastors and ministers, but no one we really saw eye to eye, someone we can really consider like-minded and share the same heart. The last evening, Friday night, I believe, it was around 9 o'clock, um, we, we met um, Pastor Bahachan, and he came over, and we talked, and we were able to fellowship. And I remember distinctly the, the thing he said that opened my heart to him. Um, he was sharing with us how he wanted us to come to his church to preach the word of God at his church, a smaller congregation. The president of the institute had said for us to go to other Kazakh churches and not Salvation Way. And so he called Oleg and he was somewhat, you know, angry, not angry, but somewhat worked. And he said, you know, I want these men to come to our church. We need to hear the word of God. We want to receive his, their ministry, uh, will you send them to our church? And uh, the president was like, well, these are Americans. You know, it's raining outside. It's very cold. It's November. And these other churches have vans to pick them up and to take them to the church. I said, do you have vans to pick them up? And Bajan said, why do we need vans for? That these Americans, don't they have legs? <laughs> They can walk, they can take the bus or taxi and they can come here. Why do they need to speak us when we don't have a van? We can't receive the ministry of the word. And he shared that with us. And that instant, I liked him right there. <laughs> man, I like that. I, man, that was, that's my heart, brother. I have legs, right? I can walk. Right? That's right. What is vans and all these modern accommodations? And it was that instant, we prayed together and said, well... Let's email one another, let's fellowship, and let's see what God will, how God will grow our relationship. And I knew that our relationship went to a different level when he emailed Marcus and I, and he was sharing his prayer requests and his just love for us, and he closed it by saying, you know, with hot love from Jesus Christ, <laughs> to James and Marcus. And I was like, it's mutual, brother. I, Hot love to you, right back, right back at you. And uh, Marks and I were able to go, and, and he thought we were coming to teach the Institute and spend some time with him. And we're like, no, we're coming to spend the whole week with you and to sleep. He wanted to put us in a hotel or an apartment. No, you're sleeping at the church. We want to sleep at the church with you as well. Spend a whole week and just sweet fellowship with him. And just God confirmed just the providence of our meetings together and our fellowship in Christ and partnership in the ministry. We were able to send a team last year, six men and women, 
had an awesome time of ministry in Kazakhstan. They're, they're emailing back. It's a different world out there. And that it is. That it is. And this summer, we're sending six more men and women to serve alongside of him and the believers there. So, please get an opportunity to fellowship with him. Please get an opportunity to pray for and with him. And look forward to possibly you in the future going of all places. Kazakhstan and all the Stan countries near there. I mean, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, Turkmenistan, um, Afghanistan, and Iran, right? No, I mean, what are, it's a good launching point for, for the gospel to all these places that I've been before close the gospel. Let's um, pray the Lord that God would open uh, doors of the gospel for us. Well, let's get back to John 15. Last time, several weeks ago, if you remember, we studied verses 4 through 8. I believe this is our fourth sermon on the 15th chapter of the Gospel of John. From verses 4 through 8, we looked at six reasons why we must abide in Christ. Six reasons, urgent reasons, why abiding in Christ is not an option. The first reason is that apart from abiding in Christ, we cannot bear fruit. We cannot bear any good thing for Christ apart from a dynamic, personal, ongoing relationship with Him. Second reason, not only that, apart from Christ, verse 5b, we can do nothing. We can do absolutely nothing if we do not abide in Christ. And I thought to myself, remember, how is that possible? Because I've done things when I was in sin. I've done ministry. I've encouraged people when I was not abiding in Christ. How is that verse a possibility? And we were reminded of Isaiah 64, 6, that all our righteous deeds are like filthy rags in the sight of God. That though from our perspective they are righteous deeds, if they are done apart from God, from God's perspective, they are like menstrual rags. They are disgusting. They are not righteous deeds. Same thing for Christians. That if we do ministry, if we serve God, if we live our lives apart from these, this dependence upon Christ, from the human perspective, it looks good. It looks right. It looks like fruit. It looks like something. But from God's perspective, because it was done apart from the overflow of our relationship with Christ, from God's perspective, it is nothing. It is 1 Corinthians 3. We are building with wood, hay, and straw. And when we go to the judgment of fire, though we are saved, it will all be burned up and nothing will remain except for our salvation. That's why Paul says, build your Christian life. Build your ministry with gold, silver, and precious stones. What is that? It's the Word of God through which we abide in Christ. If we build our lives according to this way, abiding in Christ, we will have a lasting fruit uh, before the sight of God. The third reason we must abide in Christ is that if we, have, if we experience a prolonged period of time of not abiding in Christ, and that results in absolutely an absence, bankruptcy of spiritual fruit. It only means one thing. You are not a Christian. No matter how loudly you proclaim it. No matter how long you've been a, you profess to be a believer. 
no matter how strong you have your assurance of salvation, how convinced you are that you are a Christian, if you're not abiding in Christ for a prolonged period of time, therefore you have no spiritual fruit, verse 6, He is thrown away like a branch and He withers. The branches are gathered and thrown into the fire, destroyed forever. Not only do you produce nothing, you are nothing proving that you are not a believer. The third reason why we must abide in Christ. The fourth reason is that if we abide in Christ, God rewards us. Right? God gives us a special place where He hears our prayers and rewards us by answering our prayers. And the illustration of my daughter. If she is disobeying me and she asks for snacks or dessert or toy, I'm not going to reward my daughter for disobedience. But if she's obeying mom and dad and she asks for a snack or asks for a toy, I will lavish it upon her because she is honoring her mom and dad. Likewise, God says, if we abide in Christ, because God so delights in all those who are connected to His Son, He wants to reward us. How? By listening to our prayers and answering us according to His will. The fifth benefit, fifth reason why we must abide in Christ is that this is how we glorify God. God is not a pragmatist. God is not concerned with our, our talent, giftedness, or ability. God is concerned with our abiding in Him and producing much fruit. And when we do that, God is glorified. You know, it's like going to a fair and someone has the biggest pumpkin in the fair, biggest watermelon and so forth. And they give that person a blue ribbon award and it, and it honors the, the gardener who produced this large fruit. Well, likewise, when we produce fruit for Christ, then God is honored, God is glorified. Fifth reason why we must abide. And the final one is that this is the full the, the, the opposite side of assurance of salvation. There is the objective assurance of salvation. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you are saved, Romans 10, 10, 9 and 10. But that's only half the picture. The other picture is the subjective living out of the Christian faith. And if you live out the Christian faith, if you abide in the bind of Christ and you produce much fruit, then it confirms your objective testimony, your objective confession of faith, and this shows to yourself, to your, to your Christian family, to the world, that you're truly a Christian, a follower of Christ. That was verses 1 through 8. Our Lord referred to an agriculture uh, illustration to highlight His relationship with His disciples. Beginning with verse 9, our Lord transitions away from this agrarian illustration to a, for, to a more formal and personal address to His disciples. He goes away from the relationship of vine and branches and He highlights the love relationship, the love that He has for us. And He calls us to remain in His love. That is why I'm so happy today. Because for the remainder of our time, and for the bulk of our next opportunity in John 15, I will be talking about God's love for us. Jesus' love for us. I mean, what a privilege, what a joy to spend just an hour 
studying, contemplating, meditating on the width, the depth, of height of the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And that is what we will be doing right? for a bulk of our time, for our remaining time. This is precious to us. This is important for us because this is what we ache for. This is our longing in life. Our, our pursuit, we pursue joy. We f- run away from pain. We seek acceptance. We want to run away from loneliness. We want to find the meaning of our lives. It is all found in Christ's love for us. Proverbs 19.22 What a man desires is unfailing love. And if you've lived any amount of time on earth, you'll find that there is no such thing on this, on this earth. You will never find in anything, in anyone, unfailing love. It is all imperfect, tainted by sin, all unsatisfying, all temporary. But in Jesus Christ, we find eternal love, unfailing love, given to us. This is what the Prince of Preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, said concerning the love of Christ. In the love of Christ, we find our best joy. The pastures of the great shepherd are wide, but the sweetest grasses grow close to his pierced feet. The love of Jesus is the center of salvation. It is as the sun in the midst of the heavens of grace. Paul said when he spoke of marriage, Behold, I show you a mystery. The mystery I speak of concerns Christ and the church. Yes, there is much mystery here of His love towards us. But we believe in this love. We know this love because we have tasted it. The love of Christ to His people is the sweetest, fullest, and most profitable theme that a preacher can ever bring his people. And it is always a suitable and seasonable subject, whatever the condition of the congregation may be. But we greatly need the aid of the Holy Spirit to prepare our minds for this love. To truly enjoy this truth, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. It is one thing to hear the outward sound of love. It is another thing to feel an inward sense of it. It is pleasant to hear the rippling of a stream. But if you are dying of thirst, that silver music will not refresh you. If you are unable to drink of the stream... May we personally know and personally taste the love of Christ. And that is my purpose this day in expounding upon John 15, 9 through 11. That, not all, that all of us would not just know doctrinally, intellectually, oh, the love of Christ. But each believer here would taste it, would savor it, would experience firsthand personally the beauty of Christ's love the joy of abiding in Christ's love and continuing in it. Let's go to verse 9. And we find the magnitude, the biggest M word I could find, the magnitude of 
Jesus' love. 9a. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Our Lord is speaking here not of His general love for all men. Yes, He has a common grace, common love for the wicked and the righteous. I mean, he loved Hitler. He didn't kill him at his birth. Right? He didn't destroy his body when he turned one year old. Right? No, he let Hitler enjoy life, enjoy the sun, enjoy good food. He gave him years of life that he might repent and trust in, trust in Christ. That's common love that God gives to every single person in the world. But the love that Jesus is speaking of here in verse 9 is a special love, a unique, particular love given only to His people, only to those by the context who are in Him, only to those who are abiding in Him, proving themselves to be true Christians by producing spiritual fruit to the glory of God confirming the genuineness of their faith to such men and women Christ has particular unfailing unique love to them look at verse 9a again and let's treasure these words in our hearts store them permanently in our minds let it marinate and let any doubt be removed. Let there be an unquestioning conviction, a firm belief that Jesus loves you, that He loves me. If you are an abiding believer, Jesus loves you. There is no timidity in His words. There is no obscureness. We don't have to infer this at all. He speaks plainly and directly. Just as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And note what he refers to. He doesn't refer to anything on this world to liken his love for us. He doesn't say, you know, just as you know, men love sushi, you know, in that way I love you, right? He doesn't say, just as, you know, Joe loves basketball or that sister loves shopping, whatever, I don't know, you know, just as a man loves a wife, just as children love parents, the way I, that's not what he says. He says, my love for you cannot be compared to any of the base loves that you experience on this earth. I would be demeaning my love, reducing it, if I were to parallel it with any love that you experience. My love for you is just as the Father's love for me. Father's love for Christ. This is the highest love that we can conceive. The highest affection. Our Lord parallels, Jesus', Jesus love for us is paralleled with the Father's love for us. There is an old Korean folk song that goes like this. Sky is high, but there is something that is higher. The ocean is deep, but I know something that is deeper than the ocean. It is my mother's love for me. Some of you guys know this song, right? Well, the Koreans are wrong again, right? <laughs> One more instance. You guys keeping record. How many times? No, even beyond love of our moms, love of moms towards children is the love that God has for His own son. 
you know, we're so self-centered. We're so self-focused. We become Christians and we think God revolves around us. That the Bible, you know, it's like it's, it's about James Shin. It's all about me. It's all about my life. And I'm the most important person in the whole world. And God exists to love me. When we study the Bible, we discover something radical. That beyond and above God's love for me, is God's love for His Son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ's love for the Father. It is clear in the Scripture that the highest affection in the world, the grandest love that we can conceive, is the love that God has for His own Son. He loves His Son, His only Son, who is like Him. He is holy like Himself. He loves His Son who always lives to please Him. He loves His Son who was willing to endure the greatest sacrifice and toil to accomplish His purpose and His mercy. This is stated again and again and again. John 10.17 The Father loves me because I lay down my life. Matthew 7, 5, the audible voice of God in the New Testament, this is my Son, this is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. John three thirty five, the Father loves the Son, has given all things into His hand. Turn with me to John 17, 22 through 26. In a matter of five verses, Jesus says three times, just in case someone misses it, Three times repeats the Father's love for the Son. John seventeen twenty two, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be, become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as, just as you loved me, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Verse 9a, this remarkable statement J.C. Rowell said, shows the depth and the greatness of God's love for His Son and God's love, Jesus' love for us. So here is the connection. There is no doubt. There is no debate here, no interpretive issue, no confusion that God the Father loves the Son and because of verse 9a, we can equally be confirmed. We can erase all doubt that Jesus loves us as well. Right? No doubt God loves the Son. Verse 9a, therefore no doubt that Jesus loves you and loves me. But you might say, well, Pastor James... I don't feel his love. You know, I've, I've got a real terrible family life. If you, if you knew uh, the reality of the relationships that my family with my parents and me, if you knew the life that I had, 
and the unfair things that have been done to me. If you knew how miserable I am and the pains that I'm enduring, I don't. I, you say Jesus loves me, but where is the proof? Where is the or the evidences of our Lord's love for me? Well, our Lord has demonstrated it, not in the way that we would, in our selfishness, sinfulness, want. But He has demonstrated His love for us. How has He proven His love for us? First of all, in His incarnation. In His incarnation. He became man. Why? Because of His love for us. He voluntarily left His glory, His heavenly throne. And though He was fully God, Philippians 2.7, He didn't cling to His rights. He didn't cling to His authority, His glory. He relinquished His privileges. And He humbled Himself and He became a man. He limited Himself because of His love for us. He took the form of a servant by being born in the likeness of man. Not only that, He gave His life over to death. He further humbled Himself, Philippians 2.8, by becoming obedient to the point of death. And Jesus said, we'll say next week, or next time, John fifteen thirteen. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friend. What if that lifeguard died trying to save Lawrence? What if Lawrence was saved, but that lifeguard laid his life down, and Lawrence despised him? Why would you come and help me? No, Lawrence should be so thankful, so grateful of that man giving his life for him. And this happens in war all the time, but... But when a man dies for another man, he is not really dying for him. He is just giving up time. Right? Because all men die. Like If I die for you, I'm just giving up maybe one day. Maybe ten days. Maybe ten. But not more than 70, 80 years. Definitely. So it is not really a dying for you. It's just giving up time for you or t- time for me. When Jesus died, He chose the death itself. His death is unique in that He is eternal. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is infinite. He is God. He did not need to die. He's not giving up time. When He died and separated Himself, He chose the death itself. Demonstrates His love. Finally, the manner of His death demonstrates His love for us. How did He die? He wasn't stoned to death. He didn't die a natural death of heart disease or cancer. You know, many times they try to throw Him over the cliff. He didn't die in that manner. He died on the cross. It was not just any death. He died amid circumstances of pain, shame, and desertion. The circumstances of his death made it particularly bitter. He died the death of a felon between two thieves, utterly friendless, the object of general ridicule, bearing our sins in his body. In the 60s, people had this slogan, the Christian community, Jesus is the answer. The cross is the answer. Well, we can also say the cross is the question. It is the biggest question. Why is God hanging on the cross? 
why is Jesus not in heaven? Why is he humiliated on the cross? Why is Jesus not sitting in his throne with all his glory and splendor? Why is he cursed on the cross? And the answer is, in a manifold, to show the holiness of God and his hatred towards sin. If he does that to his own son because of sin, what will he do to those whose sins remain? It shows the shame of our sins, the disgusting nature of sin. It shows the penalty of sin. But to believers, it shows us and it demonstrates to us once for all that, that Jesus loves us. That He loves the Father first and foremost. And then, that He loves us. May we never question, never doubt, no matter what circumstances, trials or difficulties we go through, may we doubt the love of our, our family members, the love of the church, love of our friends. But no matter what, may we never doubt the Lord's love for us. Well, time is gone. Let's close in prayer. We will continue next time. Father, we do praise you when we know that, that our time in the Word of God is not measured by length, but by depth but by our understanding of the truths and how far it reaches down to the depths of our being. And we desire to walk away, not forgetting what we have seen and heard, but recalling it into our minds that we might live by it. Lord, as we have been reminded of the great love that You have given to us, the same love that's been given to You by the Father, may we not stray from this love. May we not neglect it. May we not forsake it. Lord, we pray that as we abide in you, Lord, may we abide in your love. May we abide in it by just practical obedience to your commands. That our response will not be one of emotions, will not be one of just mere words and outward testimony. That we will respond to this amazing, unfailing love by resolving once again to live in practical and humble obedience to your commands, showing that we love you, that you are our chief prize. In Jesus' name we pray.